This is our new podcast, PR Wars. I am Coach Tommaso, and I'll be your host today. As I said, we are truly committed to knowledge here, but first of all, we want to start with a series of episodes called Meet the Coaches, so that our listeners can familiarize with who we are and what our expertise are. And uh, on our introductory episode, we will get to know Coach Melina. Welcome to the show, Melina. Thank you, morning, everyone. For those who don't know Coach Melina, she has a MSc. Master of Science in Sports Science, Master in Philosophy with a specialty in Psychology. Wow. Why did you decide to go for this academic career? Um, <laughs> it just sort of, um, it just sort of happened naturally. Um, I didn't start out um, to follow that path. I went to university with a view of doing um, sports science, and at the time when I when I left school um, and to do that, I just had a very I had a very narrow view of what that of what that involved. I did sport all my life, so I thought this would involve learning how to teach sport, a bit of coaching, PE, that kind of stuff. But then I got to uni and then realized that it was so much, there was so much more to it. We did um, anatomy and physiology, sports physiology physiology of different sports whether it was endurance or sort of intermittent sports um biomechanics and and psychology came into it um so i just kind of progressed through it and gradually started to find where my interests um really lie and um initially it was actually exercise physiology that's what i wanted to that's what i wanted to follow um, and I took an elective. I remember when I was doing my, my first master's, I took an elective in sports psychology because I really still wanted to keep my hand in it. And it was by the end of that first term, I thought, no, nah, actually, this is where I want to be. So I, I transferred over um, to a generic sports science one to focus more on psych. And then once that was completed, I um, continued with my research to do uh, sports psychology. Did this reflect what did what you wanted to do in life? I mean, like when you started, obviously you had this idea, but then what you studied was what uh, you wanted to study or, or at the, the profession that you were wanting at to the write? time. At the time, yes. As when I when I went to university, um, especially when I went for my masters, um, I was at Loughborough University, so there was lots of uh, um, lots of high performing athletes uh, coming in. And all the sports, all the postgraduate um, sports science students, no matter which field you were in, um, we would be heavily involved with what was then called the Sports Development Center. And one of the schemes that they had um, was called the Talented Athlete, um, Talented Athlete Scheme. So young athletes that were coming into university and were going to attempt to balance university studies with their sport, and they were aspiring for a sort of Olympic level we would come in and and support them as their as their mentors and apply some of the stuff we were learning obviously um in in the lectures and stuff so at the time i was fairly clear this is where i wanted to be i was more 
um, there was a balance between doing the academic research um, and the applied work. My first sort of proper, proper job, if I can use that phrase, my first sort of proper job was more research in the end, um, working for Sports Coach UK and working with the national governing bodies of sport to figure out to help them establish their um, their coach education courses. So dealing with things like, you know, what is coaching? What does it look like? How does one become a coach? Um, what's the best way to get them to develop their coaching skills and knowledge, that kind of stuff. So yeah, at the time, there was no clear path as to where I wanted to go other than I wanted to actively work with athletes and with coaches as well. Life hasn't quite gone that way um, in that I'm still working with coaches and athletes, but um, in a far more applied capacity than I would have, I would have thought 15, 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Were you an athlete at that time? In, during my undergraduate studies, yes, I was. Uh, during my postgraduate studies, no. Um, I was still keeping active and fit. Um, but at the end of my, uh, at the end of my bachelor studies, um, actually it was shortly after the World University Games in Hungary, I came back to the UK, was out training one day um, out on the bike and I was hit by a car and um, I had a really bad back injury. By the time I was well enough to start training, I had started a full-time job. At the time I was doing, I was working five days a week and I was doing my master's part-time twice a week. So there was, I didn't, I didn't really have any weekends. Um, so yeah, life kind of took over at that point. So that sport kind of fell by, by the way. So what was your sport at that time? At that time it was, it was triathlon. Yeah, um, I, was or, I was already, yeah, from 16, I was already, um, into, into triathlon. So I, st I still kept saying, I'm going to get back into it. I'm going to get back into it. One day I want to do an Ironman, all this kind of stuff. But um, yeah, then work happened, then family starts to happen, then we moved away. So it just, yeah, life doesn't always yeah. go the way you plan it. This is an important message <laughs> to, to, to give to the listeners, you know, lifestyle and, uh, and the way you conduct your life and the things that you have to do in life which yeah. are not sports related, they don't affect the, yeah. the quantity or uh, the quality yeah. as well of yeah. the, uh, the sport they want to do. So yeah. sometimes you need to balance, you need to make, make a, decisions. Yeah, yeah. decisions and, uh, and exactly. But now you're back on business as, as an athlete. And, and as a coach. coach, yes. And as a mom of three. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. Okay. Let's take 30 seconds break. Okay. Take you to the next level, we have to know two basic metrics, which is where you are now, your base level, and where you are going, your final goal. For this reason, we create a system called BR stages. The BR stages consist in four levels. Number one, fundamentals number two skills number three performance and finally specialization and we're back with the beer words uh with coach melina we get to meet her and know her a little bit better for people who don't know her um tell us a little bit about your childhood in sport how it started and if it was uh, love at first sight or if it was uh hmm. just fun uh i don't think it was love at first sight um so those um i guess those that don't don't know uh i grew up in nicosia in cyprus so a, a small island in the med um i didn't really get into 
organized sport until probably 10 or 11. Um, but I was very, I was very active. Um, I was very active as a child. We learned to swim early on. My dad taught us how to swim. Um, we'd regularly go to the pools and, um, we'd play lots of different sport. My dad used to play squash when I was growing up. Um, so we used to try and play with him. Um, not that we ever, you know, had any chance of winning against him, not that he'd let us. Um, and obviously we had lots of contact with, um, with the sea every, every summer. Um, about the age of 10 or 11 is when I started to, um, I started to show an interest in basketball. Um, I remember where we lived, we lived in a little cul-de-sac and then further down the road, there was another cul-de-sac. And at the time there was probably about 20 odd kids within a five year age gap. Um, and we all kind of went to the same school. So we, we organized ourselves into two teams. We even had our own kit made and we, we, we went to some building sites and stole some, um, stole some material and we made our own um, net and we had two volleyball teams. And from there, we just we just started playing lots of different sports. I made it in, onto the school basketball team when I went to, I guess, what you would call high school or junior high school when I was 12. Um, so my dad, my dad decided to try me out at one of the local teams just so I had something to do on an afternoon. Um, I, th I feel I should say I was a, a little bit of a challenge as a teenager. So keeping me busy and out of trouble was probably quite high up on my parents, um, on my, on my parents request. So, yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah. So basketball was the first basketball was the first thing. Yeah. Uh, that started off that way. Um, you know, we, we know that we are, you are, uh, uh triathlon endurance coach yeah. plus, plus you are a swimming coach. Yes. One of the best here in Dubai, <clears throat> I would say. So when, uh, the law for swimming, swimming. Uh, um, always always loved the water um they could barely get me out of the water when we were at the pool or at the sea um then so basketball started about 10 11 then when i was probably about 13 my afternoons kind of freed up i had an activity that i used to do that finished um so we thought we'd try we thought we'd give swimming a go um and that i have to admit at the time that was probably a bit of a love-hate relationship because to start swimming when you're 13, it's actually quite late. So I remember my first swimming competition, there's me, the 13-year-old, and the reality was my times, I was up against the seven and eight-year-old kids. So, you know, the teenage ego um, didn't, didn't particularly like that. Um but I really did like the, I really did like the setup The uh, my coach was, um, I was very close to him growing up, lots of friends there. And it was being there every afternoon. And I have to say at the time, I didn't, at the time I didn't realize, uh, and definitely didn't appreciate it as a parent. Now I do, um, for my parents to do what they did and six days a week, cross town in traffic uh just so i could go and do what i wanted to do um that's a pretty big ask um so as a as a mother now i'm very grateful that they did as a teenager then didn't even notice it <laughs> so, 
Yeah. Well, I mean, like it's something that you see in insight, and it's something yeah. that uh, you know you appreciate now, and you want yeah. to do it now. So this is another message for for the listeners, you know, as a parent, because we obviously we have a lot of adults uh, yes. in our uh, in our team, and uh, you know, normally uh, our listeners are adults. <laughs> yeah. This is the message, you know, for sports for kids. Yeah. It's a way for, you know, as you said, uh, to keep them out of trouble, yes. but also to develop uh, some skills and, uh, yeah. you know, it, Definitely. You know, everything is uh, stuff that you have studied in, from yeah. a psychological no, point Absolutely. And you said before that uh, one of the, the points, one of the topics that you studied in the university was the relationship between uh, uh, athlete, parents and coaches. coaches. Yeah. How was working? How how was this working for you at the time? Um, at the time, like I said, and um, you don't you don't really realize it at the time. So I guess when I answer this question, you're going to get some of my reflections as a kid, some of my reflections as a parent, and some of my reflections as a sports psychologist. Um, as a kid, you start to, as a teenager, you kind of start to struggle with your parents. You push boundaries. Um and you want to feel a bit independent and pull away from them, but you still need that sort of adult figure um, in, in your life. Um, so for me, it was very much, um, if I struggled at home with mom and dad, I was very close. I got very close to my coach to the point where, again, as I see it now, um, my parents would actually at times parent through him if they would ask me to do something there was pretty much a guaranteed flat out no but if it came from Vasily it was like yeah no, no discussion we'll do as he says okay. <laughs> so um and uh, you know I, I can I can see that now I didn't really there was never I'm very grateful for how my parents managed the relationship with my coach um they never tread on his toes um in terms of the, it's a very fine line for coaches and parents, especially for youth sport, because it's, it's the parent's child, but it's the coach's athlete. Um, so there's a little bit, probably possessiveness isn't quite the right word, but the boundaries can be quite tricky to navigate. Um, we didn't have any issues, thankfully. Um, my father and my, it was my father that was mainly involved into my sport. Um, they got on really well, but I did see lots of instances growing up where that wasn't working very well. And I could see the impact on the athlete, obviously, cause I was their friend. Um, and you can you can kind of see the impact actually even in even in the team and on the coach if you've got a parent on the sideline every day constantly second guessing the coach and their decisions um it, it can be quite tricky and i think those experiences are what i then took to uni and i was like i really want to look into that um and you know and as i said now my dad was the one that was more involved. He was the one that would drive me there. So he would come out and talk to the coach and knew everybody and all that kind of stuff. So if you asked me then, I'd probably said my mum had nothing to do with the sport. Um, as a parent now and an older and wiser person, um, she did all the background stuff. Um, whatever I needed to do nutrition wise, I didn't have to think about it. Everything was said. She was talking to my coach so she knew what I had to, so I had to do. Manager, yeah. She was, yeah, she was. was she, my dad, yeah, my dad was doing the social thing. <laughs> um, I just like myself. Um, yeah, so 
certain things I didn't see as a kid um, that I see now. And with three kids of my own, um, they're not into competitive sport as much as I would like them to be. They're, they're not there yet, or I don't know if they will be. But I am quite conscious of that with their own my girl, all three of the girls swim. So I'm very conscious not to step on the coach's toes. If the girls want me to go to watch them swim, I'll go. Otherwise, if they say, no, mommy, just drop me off and go. I'll, I'll, I'll do that. I'm just happy they're swimming. This is a very valid point. Setting this level of ambition as a parent on, on the skin of the, of the children yeah. is something that is, uh, is not healthy. No. You know, we see in Italy for the football, you know, that there is this stereotype of the football player where where kids, you know, are taken to practice and then the, the parents are there. And, and they, uh, yeah, and looking, it's not. And shouting, it's not. This is not, uh, no. it's not an healthy environment. No, it's not at all. And uh, not at all. from psychological point of view, you are, you are messing around with these kids. Yeah. That was interesting. Sometimes also coaches they 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 are a little bit uh, guilty of this because they see potential, but man, yeah. this guy, this kid, is not maturity to, to no, he's not interested. No, not at all. Cut flowers. Yeah, no, it doesn't care. It's true, and and I I see like I said, I see it with my girls. Um, they all swim. Um, whilst they have a choice of what activities they they can do they don't get a choice on swimming and this is nothing to do with me being a swimmer and and loving water it's it's just survival skills and basic life skills and where we live we live near the water there's swimming pools everywhere i want them to be comfortable in water um I'm not going to lie. I would love them to be a bit more competitive. And I remember last year, actually, my eldest, who doesn't like competition, um, went to her coach, her swim coach, and said she'd quite fancy doing a gala. And I, I remember him coming to tell me uh, when she couldn't see. And I was I was trying, like, I wanted to jump up with joy, but I was like, Okay, okay. Did you like so? I didn't make a big deal out of it. Just, just let it go and and just see how, just see how it goes. Yeah, um, it it has to it has to come from them. And and to be honest, I have to wonder. I don't know. Had I started swimming seriously when I was five or six or seven, would my trajectory in sport have been the same? Or at thirteen, was I far more? I'm not going to say mature because I wasn't mature at 13, but was I at a better stage to take it all in? I I don't know. Yeah, you had a little know. bit more database to shoot yeah. and that one was what you like. Yeah. Um, looking inside, can you tell if when you, you know, you were a kid you, you were, and you were training, the effort that you would put would give you results? Were you able to, to appreciate the the fatigue and the effort and, and then, you know, go performance and think, oh, okay, what I did last week, what I did last month, what I did the last uh, three, four months, yes, that's that's giving this result. Or if you were winning, you were getting a podium, you were like, okay, I'm happy with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't think I saw it quite that way. Um, to be honest, I probably never analyzed it in such a way. It was just... It's what I did. I was known, you know, at school, you know, I'd show up at seven o'clock at school with wet hair. Everybody knew Melina was just been, just been swimming and that kind of stuff. Um, 
I was there for the competition, for the the physical activity, and I was there for the social aspect as well. But that and that hasn't changed. For those who know me, the the social side of the sport, um, I place a lot of value on. Um, so I didn't I didn't quite think of it in that in those terms. But yes, as swimmers, we had certain things that we had to certain things that we had to achieve, and there was always the the end of calendar year so around the, the christmas time the big meet um but the big one the one that we all wanted to get to was the summer national championships and that had qualifying times coming to it um so the whole year was spent trying chasing those qualifying times and if you'd got them fairly early on you could kind of not quite relax but you were like okay i've got my place sorted in the national championships. Now I can really work on picking and choosing what I want to do and formulating some sort of strategy, which we did do with the coach. Um, but if you didn't achieve those, um, that was the only focus. And usually you had one last chance four weeks before the national championships was your last chance to get them. And as a coach, you'll know to try and taper down four weeks before the big thing isn't really going to work um so yeah it was it was all it was all based around uh, based around those and and you know as a as a teenage kid the championship always meant staying away for five days mm. just with the club with your coaches no parents and it was just the whole you just engrossed into this um just this sport thing and you just go from hotel where you're all eating your breakfast and your dinner together you know you're having a bit of a laugh sneaking from one room to the next but um just the whole atmosphere of the competition you're with like-minded people was amazing and nobody wanted to miss out nobody wanted to miss out on that (laughs) this is this is a really valid uh, aspect of sport and uh, training and competing yeah as a kid you have much more fun yes yeah. You are motivated to have fun. You're motivated, as you said, for those five days to have fun. We see so many athletes there, even if they are, uh, let's say, age groupers or uh, amateurs. Yeah. They're too serious about it. Yes. So, yes. You know, yeah. No, that's true. Kids and, uh, you know, and, and as the coaches, this is the message we, we give. Yeah. And uh, in the end, have fun. Which is always in the end, but in reality, it should be first have yeah. fun and then go through the process. Yeah, and exactly. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> okay, let's take thirty seconds break. Usually, when a person is stressed and they're trying to work on healthier habits, and that's what happens to most of us, is we try to work on healthier habits, but we have certain internal stressors that prevent us from developing those good habits. So we start, we get stressed, and then we stop. So my job is to intervene right at the point where they start and where they stop so they can continue. So I'm giving them the power and the tools to continue to build these healthy habits longer term. So now we're having the first episode of BR Wars. We get to know Coach Melina. Coach Melina is a triathlon, endurance, and uh, swimming coach at BR. Uh, as we heard from her, a background uh, in sports science and psychology is, uh, has given uh, uh, a new po- a point of view for, for, uh, for uh, training with athletes. So if you, if you need a, uh, you know, to have some opinions on, on your progress and uh, you want to have a consultancy with her, just contact BR Performance Studios. 
and they will uh, put you in contact with them. Um, what is the, the message that you think is uh, hidden or evident in sport? After so many years as an athlete, as a coach, as a, as a student, oh, is there anything that you see either hidden or, or evident? And sometimes uh, also the things that uh, we think uh, we can see them right away, sometimes we don't see them. That's a loaded question, if ever there was one. Make your time. Um, I think, um, God, there's, yeah, there's a million and one ways to answer this question. Um, I would probably say uh, it it teaches patience, hopefully it teaches patience. Um, sport can give you a lot. It can, um, from a, obviously from a physical health point of view, from a mental health point of view as well. Um, but it doesn't happen overnight. You don't suddenly decide I'm gonna I'm gonna do sport and then you you do like one or two sessions or a week or whatever and then you start to reap all the you start to reap all the benefits and the fact that sport takes time to develop your expertise your your skills gaining experience in lots of different in lots of different events and that kind of thing it just takes time so you've got to be able to you've got to be able to commit and you've got to be able to kind to be patient to see the results. They're not going to, and that, I mean, that's something that I, I probably am more aware of it now as a, as a coach. And when I restarted the sport as an athlete at the age of 36, after 16 years out, um, that it, it yeah, it doesn't, it, it's not going to happen overnight. And you get athletes that come to you and after a couple of months, they say, I'm not, I'm not really seeing much progress. I'm not as fast as I'd like to be or whatever. Um, you, you have got to give it time. It's a progressive thing. It's a cumulative thing. And above all, if you forget about volume of training, forget about intensity of training, which athletes can get quite hung up on um above all consistency is what's going to bring you all the benefits of sport you've got to be doing it day in day out even if it's a little bit every day so i think being patient and having the patience to start something and see it through with the right amount of time so you know you want to do a 70.3 but you've never done triathlon you can't swim you don't have a bike three months might be pushing it um it, this is not to say that you can't do it and you can't finish a 70.3 in that time um but it's 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 not advised it's not an overnight thing so i think having the patience to see something through is where you will reap all the benefits from sport Patient, patient. Yeah. Well, obviously, setting the right uh, objectives, you know, level yes. of ambitions of the of the athlete can be you know, various in the, mm. in the. So also that one as a coach uh, is something that you set up first, and then yeah. and we tend to be a little bit conservative sometimes, just because we know that the time sometimes uh, is not yeah. available in life, like you said already before. So people don't have time to train. No. 
and uh, this is taking away their, let's say, their motivation sometimes yeah. because they don't see the results right away. But and it's this is a message. Patience, patience, patience yeah. is the message. And it's, I think it's also the the excitement that people. The, that initial inspiration and motivation they get to do an event like and, and we're going to see it again in february come ironman 7.3 dubai we're going to see lots of people as soon as the the event gets announced say in november whenever it is you're going to get lots of people coming in wanting to do that race or people that are going to go and watch the race shortly after will want to do um will want to do the race and it's they, they start to forget about everything else that they've got on in there. And they'll come and say to you, right, you know, I've got 10 hours a week um, and, and, you know, this is what I can do and we're going to go and train. And they start training really hard. And that lasts two weeks because the reality is they don't have 10 hours a week. They have six hours a week because they've got kids, they've got um, work or whatever. And being brutally realistic and honest with what you have available time-wise is a big it's, it's a big deal. That's the most important thing before you start out. Speaking about this, what is the, the speech that you make to an athlete, <laughs> an amateur that is coming to you for training? It's a endurance triathlon. What is the speech that you make? Um, it does. It does involve that. Um, once we get through them, wanting to understand why they've. Mm, made the step to contact us and why they want to do triathlon if it's triathlon understanding where they're coming from in terms of sport um we then get into the the nitty-gritty okay what what's your life look what does your life look like um and i do i do ask almost of a, a day by day breakdown of what their week looks like you know do they always have work really late on a thursday night and then they go out or whatever is that date night with the other half the chances of you getting up on a friday morning to go bike riding are quite slim um yeah so trying to get them to understand how the rest of how it all fits in because it the excitement and it is quite temporal and the motivation can be quite temporal um so, and the important thing is that the sport fits into your life, not the other way around. If you try and make your life fit in around the sport, something's gonna go. Um, and there is, not to make too light of it, but there is that standing joke in Ironman, where you, you must have seen the signs yeah, that say, you know, if you, you know, if your relationship is still intact, then you haven't trained hard enough. <laughs> Which is funny, and there's a little bit of truth in it. Um, but you don't, you don't want that. It's, the sport is a hobby. None of us are pros. Um, it, it is a hobby, and it has to remain that. And it needs to be a healthy hobby, so it has to fit in around your life. So being truthful to what that is, maybe it's not your time. Yes, you want to do an Ironman, a full Ironman, but maybe it's not your time. You've got, I don't know, you've got three kids under the age of five, and you're at that point in your career where you have to work long hours. Okay, so maybe you focus on 70.3 and when things settle, then you pull the full distance. There's a reason why if we look at um, if we look at the age groups, the 50 plus age group is very competitive. There's lots of people in that age group and there's lots of really good people. The reason is there's a good chance if you've got kids, They've grown up, so they're self-sufficient, so you don't have to worry about them too much. There's a chance they don't even live at home anymore, 
So then you also have more disposable income. You've got more disposable income and more time. Hence why the, the numbers are so big in that age group. There's, there's a reason why they're there. Um, so yeah, being honest about that is important. They do always get that speech. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. How do you manage as a mom to be an athlete and a coach? Um, give us some tips, give, some, <laughs> give the listeners some tips on how to manage this. Uh... Um, I'd like to say that I'm this Mother Earth sort of type person, Mary Poppins and all that, but I'm certainly not. Um, you, I, don't pull, you don't pull umbrellas from your bag? No, absolutely, no, no, absolutely not. <laughs> um, I wish. Um, I don't get it right by any, by any means and it's still a learning curve. Um, I'm now entering the teenage years with my girls. Um, so. Yeah, we're starting in an interesting way. I think I should. I think I think I feel I, sh I should make a point that I don't have a full time nine to five type job. So in that sense, um, it's a little bit easier, perhaps on me. Um, my time to coach and my time to train. Uh, or do whatever it is I want to do is when the kids are in school. The afternoons are primarily taken up with driving them wherever they want to go or their training or whatever activities they've got on um, and yeah, balancing the, balancing the home life. But it, it, takes, it takes a lot of planning. And I remember at my, a few years back when I had two full Ironmans fairly close together, it, it basically meant doing my training at certain points that it wouldn't impact the family. So for example, I, I, I remember one day, it was a Friday, um, the deal was we were going with friends to a water park at 10 a.m. So by 10 a.m. I had to be done with my training. So by 10 a.m. we rocked up to the water park. I'd already put seven hours of training in Ooh. my day, a long bike ride, a long run, still managed to have a shower, eat something, and, and get to the water park. Obviously, men come 8 o'clock, I probably fell asleep before the kids. Um, but yeah, it's, it's finding the time, and that's how I had, to, I had to make the time. If it starts to impact on the family too much, it's just, it, it's not fair on, on my husband, obviously, because he does work full-time, and he works lots of hours, and it's, um, it's not fair on the kids to, to be missing. At the beginning, I feel like uh, most of the athletes they don't uh, they don't feel that one. They gotten into the you know get into a race or uh, in the heat of the training, in the heat yeah. of the teamwork and everything. But then after a while, the more they become aware of the what their capabilities are and uh, what their objectives are, uh, some athletes come back and they said, "Coach, we need to reassess the objective." Yeah. Right? You know, as a coach, you need to be open right away to see, okay, yes. where, are you, where you're at, what you want to do next, uh, and, uh, and why you're telling me this, you know. Yeah. There was a guy, an athlete that they had just uh, today, he called me and said, look, I have uh, registered for this competition here, but probably I'm not going to do it because, you know, I want to uh, review my objectives for training and, uh, and my lifestyle and my family, and I see that uh, training uh, has an impact. So, is realizing that the effort that he put, you know, when he gave you the schedule at the beginning, yeah, I can do this, 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 and that, that was too much for his lifestyle. Yeah. So it's good that he realized. Yeah. As a coach, it's difficult to understand because we, we don't live with, uh, with athletes. No. So 
it's it's a this is a message for the athletes you know see really open your eyes in in, in your house you know either you're living alone yes. or you're living in a, in a family of two or yes. three or four see what the impact yes. of your sport is and, and uh, I mean it's, it's good you have to hats off to the athlete that came and, and opened up about that because there is an element of a little bit of ego that will come and say do you know what I thought I could do this and reality is I, I can't and not everybody will open up to the fact that do you know yeah, what maybe yeah. I need to reassess it um, so hats off to the athlete for, for doing that yeah. and, it, and it's okay for, for that to happen um, at the end of the day for the coach athlete relationship to work and coaching to work the athlete has to be has to be honest yeah. um, with us with what their situation is so and, and as coaches yeah we'll reassess we might need to you know have a couple of days have a few more chats and figure out exactly where they're, where they're at and then and then reassess from that so okay. um a little bit of psychology here what would you say to a young athlete uh, to give the right motivation to persevere in sport, because we said before, sometimes you don't understand what's going on. Okay, you just do it. You just are, are taken from your parents, uh, picked up from practice. So, yeah. what would you say as a coach uh, to, or as an adult, let's say, let's say as an adult, not as a coach, but as an adult, to um, is, it, is this a child? Is this an athlete that is wanting to stop or just? No, no, just, just, you know, like he's starting sport, he's doing his practice, yeah. but you don't see his involvement, you see, you just, you know, you just take him. And just drop him off. Yeah. Drop him off, and then come um, back. I think it's, that's quite similar to school in a way. Um, you know, the amount of times I pick up my kids from school and I'll say, how was your day? Yeah. What did you do? Nothing. What did you learn today? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't remember. <laughs> So you kind of have to be a little bit more, and I think in the same way that we try and find out more about our adult athletes, it's got to be the same with, with the kids. And I think we have to be a little bit more careful with the questions that we ask them. Um, and, you know, so rather than making them quite generic, just say, okay, um, I don't know, who did, you, who did you speak to or who did you kind of race against or whatever, just be a bit more specific to try and get more info and see what aspect they're enjoying the most. Are they enjoying, you know, beating the others in some sprint that they're doing? Are they enjoying just having a laugh but they're not really bothered about the competition? So based on that, you can kind of tailor your response. But I think I'd, I think I would go back. Um, it, it doesn't quite always work that way because I know, I know how it is with my girls, um, but I would go back to the to the patience thing and and give it time and that's kind of the deal I've I say it's a deal I've got with my kids they've been told it's how it's going to go <laughs> um, they can try out whatever sport they want to try out uh, or what sorry whatever activity they want to try out and we have tried lots of different ones um, but you have to at the very least see it through for one term if I if I've paid for three months or four months for you to do this you're sticking out with it. And, and that's partly because they need to learn the value of money, that's one, that's costing money, and obviously time for me to take you there and everywhere, but it's also, because it, it needs time. You know, they might, they might go to the first couple of sessions and just not really click or whatever, and then it, it just takes, it'll take one good session, 
and then you can you can see you can see that spark um, come through. Um, so yeah, it yeah. comes down to accountability, patience. accountability, responsibility, yes. you know, and uh, and patience. These are all messages that we can extend also to others. Yeah. You know, because it's in the end, it's the, it's the same process. Yeah. Okay, let's take 30 seconds break. The VR cycling experience is based on two main pillars, a scientific power-based system and music. The power-based system allows us to measure the performance of each member in the class, and the music and the rhythm work as a trigger to the state of flow. And we are back with the VR Wars with Coach Melina. She gave us uh, so many valid points, so many tips and uh, very good advice uh, about how to manage uh, kids, how to manage uh, adults <laughs> in, the, in the world of training, in the world of uh, triathlon, swimming and endurance, whatever the, the, the sport you're doing. Yeah. Uh, the first uh, valid point that you brought is patient, yeah. uh, which is as applicable to anything we do, but uh, at least patient is going to give you the results. It's, yeah. uh, patient can see the results at the end. And then for the kids, uh, accountability and responsibility. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, let them think that if they commit for some sport for three they months of package, they have to swim, they have to finish that. Yeah. Because that, it's not uh, it's not free to get the result. Exactly. Uh, before we conclude the episode, Melina just uh, completed uh, oh, an awesome competition. <laughs> One of those bucket list uh, swims uh, crossing the the Bosphorus. So, what's the name of the competition? It, it's um, it's the Bosphorus Intercontinental Swim because uh, you it's based in Istanbul, obviously, um, and you the swim starts from the Asian side of Istanbul and you swim across and you finish on the European side of Istanbul. How was this adventure? Um, it, it was amazing, actually. Um, just, first of all, just Istanbul itself is a pretty amazing, is a pretty amazing city. There's lots of history to it um, that I kind of did when I was a kid. So it was nice to finally go and explore the place there. As the swim goes, um, it was incredibly well organized. Um, it's a six and a half K, the official distance um, is six and a half kilometers. But for any um, anyone who's not a particularly strong swimmer, don't let this put you off because um, the majority of the swim involves swimming with the current. Um, so the winning time was something ridiculous, like 38 minutes. Uh, for me, it was 55 minutes. Um, and you've got up to two hours to finish the, to finish the swim. Um, Although it's with the current and the current is very strong, um, you have to kind of take that into account because on either side of it, um, there's like whirlpools. So you could potentially get, uh, you potentially get stuck. Um, one of the most amazing things about it, obviously we were there a few days before, uh, it's an incredibly busy shipping lane, nonstop, um, day and night. So to have that, shut down because it connects you know, like from Russia all the way all the way down to Africa for example to have that shut down for three hours for a bunch of swimmers is um 
is is pretty awesome. It is technical in the sense that unlike in a triathlon where you have your marker boys, um, you don't have any of that. You are completely reliant on landmarks. The canal, the straits are about a kilometer wide. Um, so it's very easy to kind of go off course. Um, but no, it's a it's, it's pretty amazing, a pretty amazing experience. The water was incredibly clear for something that's that busy with ships. Um, was very clear. You could see quite far down. Um, the temperature was perfect. Other than when when we were in the current, it considerably dropped a few degrees. Um, and the last, I'd probably say the toughest part of the swim was the last kilometer to fifteen hundred meters because you you have to you have to step out of the current at that point, And then you have to fight it all the way for that last bit to get to the finish line. And the finish line isn't actually that big. Like it's got, when you're near it, there's this big yellow balloon, but when you're in the middle of the straits, a kilometer away, it's just this yellow little dot in the background that you're trying to sight on, especially when there's a massive suspension bridge right behind it. So it's easier to sight on that, but you hit that bridge, it means you've passed the point of the finish line. So it's a DQ. So no, it was it, it was pretty amazing to know that you've done, you know, Asia to Europe. There's something yes. pretty special about that. It's a shame my Strava can't show that because no watches are allowed. No, that's that's true. That's true. But there's still a little bit of ego there. But yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So great, if you guys that are listening and interested in this competition, uh, just contact uh, Coach Marina yeah, uh, from VR Performance Studios. She will give you insights on the logistics, on the training as well. Yes. And uh, mm-hmm. if you need a consultancy to, to know if you can do that. <laughs> That's that true. Race. Yeah. In the end, it's a race uh, against the, the nature, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, absolutely, yes. <laughs> Good. Great talk to you, Marina. Uh, you. We are at the end of the episode. Uh, for any listeners that want to get in contact with us, just go on brperformancestudios.com, send us an email, and then all the links of the podcast and the Instagram accounts are down here, okay, link in bio. And uh, we will talk to you soon. Lovely. Thanks for having me, and have a good day, everyone. <laughs>